Hi everyone, this is Janelle Penny. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Buildings.com, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm here with Angie Lee, who is the Vice President of Buildings for Stantec, which is a global design firm with about 400 locations worldwide. And we're going to be talking about open office design, including the roles played by furnishings and layout, and also a look at how Stantec applies some of these uh, design concepts to their own office in Portland. Angie, thank you so much for joining us. So Angie, could you tell me a little bit more about um, the consolidation project for your Portland area offices at Stantec and how that relates to what you try to do for your clients? Yeah, so um, you know one of the one of the key drivers that we're seeing, and and I'll just flip the uh, answer a little bit here. Uh, you know, working with our workplace and, and office clientele, uh, clearly there are uh, two major drivers. One of which is cost reduction. Um, everyone wants to you know consider the real estate portfolio and looking at uh, being smarter about space uh, utilization and efficiency, as well as efficacy of how the space is being used, right? So after uh, people, for most of our clients, and Stantec is not uh, unique, uh, real estate is the second highest capital uh, cost for most organization. And the second piece uh, of the driver is recruitment and retention, and that's again no different, um, you know, from how we approach uh, our own corporate real estate and workplace environment. So, relative to Portland and many of our other locations where we consolidate uh, into a single location for multiple locations or complete relocation, uh, we're very conscious of the fact that. Um, we first have to consider the facility types, uh, Stantec being 22,000 people with 400 offices uh, around the globe, and we operate in you know, four different major divisions, if you will, uh, business units, and uh, that alone will have a really cross spectrum of office facility types and um, the way offices need to support the work that we do on a regular basis. But with that said, one of the key items, aside from quantitative measures, which we're looking at, uh, some of our offices range from 300 square foot per person in the past, or over 300 square foot per person in the past, to now really trying to standardize towards a target, I'll use the word target, for about 180, 190, maybe 200 square foot per person, which is much more in line with industry standard, particularly if we are staying with a one-to-one uh, -one, uh, seat, person-to-seat assignment. Of course, you know when you start doing desk sharing or free address, uh, the metric can be tightened up and densified quite a bit. But in terms of design and style, uh, one of the key components that we always keep in mind is that we need to be, we as Stantec need to be proud of the offices that we uh, work out of. So when a client comes to visit us, um, you know, we need to showcase what we can do as an organization. So design is very much a part of the discussion relative to smarter use of real estate uh, with the understanding of the drivers are cost and people, recruitment and retention. Makes sense. Looking specifically at the features in the new Portland office, what are some of the things that Stantec is really proud of or that make that space 
special. I understand it's got some different kinds of space types. Yeah, so we, um, so that's a very good question, actually. Uh, when we designed for um, the, what I call the 21st century office space, we consider five different cat categories of work modes. And it really has to do with how you organize and um, allocate the percentages of those different work modes. So the five different categories that we always make sure that we include, that includes you know, what we have done for Portland and, and other uh, locations too, by the way, is um, focus, which is something that you, know, you and I are very familiar with. That's private offices and workstations uh, or benching now in some offices. We're starting to migrate towards that. Portland is still um, workstation uh, solution, but some of our other offices, like Washington, D.C. recently and Chicago, uh, we have gone to a benching solution. Um, how we appropriate collaboration spaces is another area that is very critical. No two clients are alike. A lot of times, you know, clients come to me and say, hey, Angie, what is the, um, what is the formula to uh, calculate, you know, if you have X number of uh, focus, meaning private offices and workstations, you know, how many formal conference rooms and informal, you know, gathering spaces should we provide? Well, there's really not a very, there's, there's really no strict formula. It really has to do with the industry that you're in. So a tech company, for instance, will appropriate and allocate the ratio of collaboration space to focus space differently than, let's say, um, an insurance company or a financial company. So at Stantec, um, you know, we it also varies. It also varies depending on the locations. Uh, the third different work modes that we are um, always considering now in 21st century work environment is um, social spaces. So if you think about the next generation of workers, which now is dominant in the marketplace, um, social gathering spaces such as, you know, a great, uh, you know, cafeteria that are multi-use or, uh, you know, spaces that are available for quick, um, you know, fortuitous type, you know, conversation or meeting with your colleagues having those types of spaces woven into the planning and design um, is, is very critical. Uh, the fourth mode of work is um, training spaces or learning spaces. And a lot of these types of spaces um, are multi-use, as in Portland, for instance, that could also be converted into conference rooms uh, and vice versa. So a conference room with uh, flexible furniture layout can then be converted into, let's say, you know, a training uh, auditorium style or classroom style type seating. And the last one, which a lot of times, uh, you know, people don't um, consider as important, but we always do consider very, very important when we're designing for our client, is places for respite. Uh, areas where employees can go and rejuvenate, whether it's an outdoor terrace or small quiet areas that you can go and actually take a little downtime, think, or maybe even you know close your eyes for a few minutes. Um, you know th those are the types of choices that we um, make sure that we provide our employees. 
Um, but having said that, one thing I want to follow up on is it really has to do with the organizational culture. Um, as, as great design that we can you know, provide our clients relative to the different you know, workplace modes and work settings, if the organizational culture itself does not support employees having these types of choices, it's very, very difficult to make it successful. So it really has to do with the behavior and the management side of whether or not they are willing to walk the talk. It's very much a top-down um, uh, uh, scenario as the way that we've always seen it. So making sure that senior management or the management team or leadership team buys into the idea of giving these types of choices to employees. Does it make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad that you mentioned culture because I'm wondering how um, to tell if your own office culture can support that kind of thing. How do you know what will fit in your own office? Well, um, I, I think it's even beyond our own offices. One of the things that we work with our clients um, at the very beginning um, is to have uh, what I call a senior leadership or executive leadership visioning session. And during that session, uh, we have a lot of different, um, you know, types of activities and, and uh, conversations that's, you know, fully facilitated. But we should be able to um, ascertain whether or not the organization is ready for change. And usually we get hired to help push the envelope. Otherwise, you know, they would be saying, well, you know, the same thing, just give us the same thing over and over again. But the reason why we're hired to develop a strategy like what I was talking about relative to the different work modes and how you apply that is because someone within our organization says, hey guys, we need to think about, um, we need to think about uh, uh, our office environment uh, as a tool for our employees to do better work or as a tool for us to uh, recruit, um, you know, the star talent and as a tool. So, in other words, the workplace environment now very much is being looked upon as a tool um, to align with their business success. So, understanding how ready they are and how far, I always use the term, you know, how far we can push the dial, because we can push the dial as far as, you know, an organization will accept us coming in and pushing that dial. And sometimes um, working with facilities team, because the, the aspiration and the goal of this facility team is to be much more efficient uh, with their real estate use, right? So they will advise us to push it as far as we can, but knowing that that dial will somewhere come back uh, a little bit more towards the center versus all the way you know, to, to the far right, if you will. So that's what we've been seeing. Um, so going back to Stantec, every BC and every, um, yeah, every business center, which is, you know, Portland is a business center, um, operate a little differently. Um, there's local leadership involved. And so again, understanding how far that dial can be pushed within the spectrum of a corporate set of standards that we have now uh, developed for Stantec, I think is the key. So every office, no office is going to be exactly the same. And we don't intend every office to be the same. 
So I'll tell you, the Portland office looks very different than the Phoenix office. And it looks different than the Chicago office. And Chicago office looks different than the New York office and so on. But fundamentally, uh, our corporate real estate team um, have developed a set of standards that is our guideline when we roll out projects uh, on behalf of Stantec, which is really no different than, you know, companies that we work with now, um, you know, on a national basis, like the Comcast and the Marriott's and, and the Googles of the world, where their standards are um, a set of guidelines and how we interpret that guideline uh, based on how we need to roll that out with uh, the input and um, strategy and aspiration of local leadership. Excellent. Could you tell me a little bit more about the um, consolidation project in Washington, D.C. with regard to some of the design strategies that you used in the open office areas, especially since you were moving to a much higher percentage of open office compared to enclosed spaces? Uh, you mean for Gartner? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for Gartner. Um, well, first of all, uh, as I had said earlier, uh, these types of projects need to be top-down driven. And so the CEO at the time, um, you know, this was CEB, uh, Gartner actually bought them, acquired them halfway through the project. The CEO at the time had a vision of um, moving, knowing that, you know, the existing space was, you know, private office intensive and people are not talking to each other uh, and are not collaborating. Uh, they primarily, it's occupied by two major groups, the, uh, the Gartner um, CB locations. It's really sales and research. So if you imagine the salespeople operate differently than the researchers, right? Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but nevertheless, the CEO had a vision that, guys, you know, we need to recruit the best people. And, you know, Washington, D.C. being uh, of a city where um, uh, there is a war on talent, uh, war for talent, if you will, not on talent. Um, and so they know that they need to recruit the best of the best. And to do that, the work environment has to reflect the best state-of-the-art 21st century environment. So it was his vision that drove the project. Without somebody at the very top of the food chain saying, guys, we really need to open our minds and think about the office environment as a tool, not just for cost cutting, but also for bringing in the next generation of workers. And how do we support that? And because ultimately it will lead to the higher productivity, better performance, you know, higher engagement, all the things that all the metrics that people like to collect. Um, so from a design standpoint, we went from, um, like I said, the 70% open, 30% close. They had multiple uh, work standards and we were able to go to 120 square foot private office, only one standard and all of the open work environment um, are benches and they are the 30 inch by six foot um, you know benching solution uh, the design also entails a kit of parts so that uh, in terms of the orientation of the individual desk they can face whichever direction they want 
Um, these are all sit-stand desks, by the way, uh, which is very much uh, something that, uh, to some degree, employees expect now um, because of, of uh, just the the, uh, the the solution itself is much healthier. That you know, sitting uh, eight hours a day is really not very good for you for 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 uh, for our health. With the Gartner project, since like you said, sales and research are so different in terms of their workloads and their needs. Um, how were you able to maximize opportunities for productivity while also mitigating some of the aspects of open offices that people tend to complain about sometimes, like noise and just distraction? Yeah, so very good question. And um, so it goes back to understanding the work modes and work settings and having a variety of different choices for people to actually go to. So imagine if you're sitting in an open office, um, you know, people need to have a place to go and have a private conversation or a, a confidential phone call or, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. So having those types of uh, work settings available and with a culture that supports that hey, you know, my supervisor knows that if I'm going to sit over in the, um, the quiet room, I'm still working just because I'm not sitting at my desk, right? It's the whole culture and behavior piece and that was part of their internal change management program. So having those types of spaces available, and I will say that most organizations tend to over-design the big conference rooms. Too many large conference rooms are not actually being utilized properly. How many times have you walked by conference rooms that are built for like 12 people and there are only two people in there, right? So, exactly. yeah, as a part of, um, you know, analyzing and developing a strategy, uh, CED is one and, and Grant Thornton is another one that we actually did a time utilization study and found that not only was 40% of their work uh, personal, the focus workplace was occupied, 60% of the time it's open and not utilized. Further, certain conference rooms are much more coveted than other conference rooms. And the ones that are more coveted generally are the ones that are uh, that have windows, so daylight, people being able to look outside versus a conference room that's stuck in the middle of the, the core. Uh, you shut the door and it's dark. And then conference rooms with technology is huge differentiator in today's uh, work environment. Even the, um, I would say, the open informal collaboration spaces, if you have the ability for your employees to plug in and bring their laptop and plug in and share screen, um, it goes a long way to helping them be much more successful in collaborating. Sorry, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, this is helpful. Um, what role do the different work zones play? You kind of touched on this a little bit with, you know, having that culture that says if I'm in the uh, focus space, I'm still working if I'm not at my desk. Um, but what kinds of work modes do you try to account for in the, in the Gartner project or in any design for that matter? And what are the important roles that you try to account for? Yeah, so very good question. So I think one of the most important um, item is to understand how they work and what their business drivers are. Uh, so 
when we before we even start designing, one of the key elements that um, that we do during the visioning session is really understanding their work strategy, their business strategy, where they're at today, what is working, what is not working, and where they want to go in the future. So with that kind of information, and you know, usually clients are pretty open in sharing uh, that, we can come back with a variety of different scenarios relative to their personal space allocation, the focus, the focus spaces I talked about. Um, you know, some organizations are just not ready to go 100% open plan. They just are not, and that's okay. Nobody says that you know everyone has to have 100% open plan. And personally, and this is just a sidebar, I think uh, I think that uh, that 100% open plan. Uh, concept is is pushed way too far to the right, and what we're seeing now is uh, companies coming back a little bit more, uh, you know, much more centralized. But that does not mean that everyone still gets an office. What it means is that there are many more uh, allocations or, or ratio is the right word. Uh, many more ratios, more ratios of. Um, uh, I'll just use the term huddle rooms to uh, to take over from assigning everyone a private office. And the huddle rooms generally, when we design, we try to use the same footprint as a private office. That will, let's say, you know, the 120 that we used for uh, Gartner, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times we use 10 by 10 too. By the way, 100 square feet. So let's just say 100 square feet is the footprint for private offices. Our huddle rooms are also 100, uh, 100 square feet. That will allow the facilities team to have some agility and flexibility to make changes in the future without having to, you know, start swinging hammers and and converting. Uh, uh, converting um, uh, fixed uh, partitions and changing uh, footprints out. So taking that into consideration day one, assigning the right proportion and making sure the size is the right size, and it's almost like a template, if you will, uh, that could stand the test of time and allow and provide the facilities team the, um, the ability to make changes in the future. So huddle rooms are not fit out like an office, uh, but an office could be fit out like a huddle room. So, um, so that's the conversation that we have with senior executives, whereby uh, it allows them the opportunity to make uh, people adjustments or changes and allocations uh, at a later date. Great. This might seem like a silly question, but what are the uh, consequences of not accommodating some of the work modes or zone types that we've talked about or not building in that flexibility that you were just talking about? Yeah, so then you're going to get a lot of complaints from people that um, I don't have a place to go and make a private phone call or we don't have enough spaces for us to, you know, gather and collaborate, uh, you know, as a team. Um, the other key to not having enough is proximity. So, you know, one of my personal uh, measurement is um, collaboration spaces, let's say huddle rooms or, or phone rooms or quiet rooms, whatever you want to call them. They need to be um, 
within your sight line. In other words, it can't be tucked around in a corner that you don't see. Uh, generally, these are just-in-time rooms that are not uh, reservable, especially the phone rooms are not reservable. Huddle rooms, um, oftentimes, our clients elect that, you know, those can be reserved on Outlook. Um, but it needs to be within 25 to 30 feet, no more than 40 feet away. Um, otherwise, you know, it's just not going to be used if it's too far away. So there's a proximity uh, equation as well. Absolutely. If someone's listening to this and, you know, then looks at their own office space and sees that it's lacking in some way, like, for example, maybe it doesn't have very good support for private calls, um, how would someone go about implementing a new space type or support for a different work mode in a space that they already have? Are there um, rules of thumb that you can share or um, a process that you like to go through with clients on that? Yeah, so um, that's a silver bullet that people always ask me. What is that ratio? What is the right magic number? Um, <laughs> I think that it has to go by case-by-case -case basis. And you also need to take a look at the... Um, the bricks and mortar, the uh, you know the, the footprint of uh, of the space that you're talking about as well. Um, you know what is the quarter di window dimension? How big is the footprint? If you're talking about you know a 12, 15,000 square foot footprint, uh, a floor meaning versus a 50,000 square foot footprint for floor, that that in and of itself. Uh, requires some uh, attention and uh, path of travel, travel distance, how do you circulate, all of that needs to be taken into consideration. So there isn't one, you know, good, quick answer. Um, however, I do know that uh, there are products out there, not that I'm a furniture vendor, but there are products out there that is plug and play that's available on the market that um, resembles uh, like a telephone booth, like you know, in in London they have the used to they have those telephone booths that are red, the red booths, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, that's available in the market now that uh, you can easily plug it in. It's being looked upon as furniture, so nobody has to worry about you know having to bring in light or you know in certain cities. Uh, oh my gosh, you know now we have to sprinkle the thing because it's a closed environment. Um, so there are products out there that. Uh, you know, if push comes to shove, they need to, you know, bring in one or two phone rooms without uh, literally redesigning, replanning um, their solutions out there in the marketplace. But my advice is that's really a short-term Band-Aid kind of fix. Um, but needing to take a look holistically, uh, not just from, from the planning standpoint, but I would suggest that you actually take a couple of steps back and really understand your organizational culture and behavior and what the business vision is before you even start to do layouts and planning. Definitely. Um, stepping back to your comments on furnishings for a second, are there uh, design strategies or even types of furnishings that you rely on to make sure that clients have that flexibility built in? Like, for example, do you ever use um, movable furnishings or movable partitions for that reason? Yeah, quite a bit. In fact, um, in fact, we, um, first of all, it's much more sustainable um, as opposed to, you know, always doing, you know, hard wall construction. 
there are certain components within the work modes like conference rooms. Uh, definitely, you would want to, you know, have hard wall constructions. But oftentimes for huddle rooms and private offices, we are migrating towards um, the, um, the furniture portion of demountable partitions. And um, only because the, you know, in, in, you know, even five, ten years ago, there were concerns about sound attenuation and, you know, acoustics concern. But there's so many products out there that um, are much better engineered um, and technology has really uh, improved significantly where SDC rating are, um, you know, can be as high as 45, even with glass fronts. You know, some of the products out there are double and triple pane glass. So, uh, yeah, it is a little bit more costly uh, to do demountable partition when you do when you look at first cost. But there's a whole life cycle cost that needs to be taken into consideration as well. So, uh, so the short, the long answer to your quick question is yes. We um, we take all of that into consideration as we design budgets uh, with our clients. Great. Um, how can you make sure that people are actually engaging with the different zones and furnishings that you're putting in? You mentioned um, kind of getting that, that buy-in at the top and making sure that your culture can support different work modes and different zones. Um, are there any other recommendations that you can share for in encouraging people to use your new spaces and kind of letting them know that it's okay to move throughout the office throughout the day? Yeah, so that's part of change management, right? So, um, you know, whether we are hired to do help with change management, which is a parallel process to the design process, by the way, um, oftentimes when uh, before they move in uh, during the change management process, we have a series of town halls. Uh, with the employees to <clears throat> make sure that people understand what the new space is going to look like, how it will affect them, because it's the within process, you know, what's in it for me. Everyone needs to know how will that affect them. And then more importantly, um, you know, we need to share the reasons why, um, you know, they're going through these changes. And then lastly, uh, oftentimes at the either right before move in or you know uh, during move in, uh, we help our clients develop an etiquette package that um, that uh, explains how each of the spaces expect, are expected to be used, so that um, you know people understand that yes, the phone rooms, for instance, the phone rooms are not. Um, reservable is first come first serve and you know you can't just camp there all day kind of a thing uh, there's a two-hour limit for instance I'm making that up but you know there's certain etiquette program that we can help our clients put together before the move-in uh, it's partly education and uh, you know partly making sure that uh, people follow the rules and partly for the facilities team to have something to go by um, you know, when uh, when the space is being occupied. Sure, everyone's kind of starting on the same foot that way. Right, right. It's like just because you build it doesn't mean that they know how to use it. Right. Um, you mentioned with, I don't remember now if it was the uh, Portland Stantec office or the Gartner space in Washington, D.C., but about the meeting spaces with windows and natural light being more popular. 
And I'm wondering um, what some of the other things are that can impact whether an open office is functional and supporting productivity. What impact is had by not just natural light, but other sort of environmental factors like um, lighting or uh, making sure that HVAC is zoned correctly, for example? Oh, yeah, yeah, that is so important. Uh, the comfort factor is, um, you know, if you ask any facilities manager, they will tell you that one of the biggest complaints uh, they get are, oh, I'm too hot or I'm too cold. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, balancing the, the place out properly with the right, um, you know, temperature, uh, you will not please people 100% of the time, 100% of people 100% of the time, um, but... You know, there is there is a methodology that uh, that can be put in place to to ensure comfort level. Um, as far as daylight is concerned, uh, we have been I would say 95% of the projects that we do now, uh, we take into consideration daylighting and make, making sure that the majority of the open plan are along the perimeter and we always advise our clients that private offices generally um, is more appropriate when you put them on the interior spaces. However, um, there's glass fronts that you can uh, you can include so that daylight still penetrate into the private offices. And frankly, uh, you know, there's still some hierarchy in terms of placement and um, allocation that the more senior folks tend to be in offices and they're the ones who are generally not in the office as frequently as the people who are in open plan. And um, I know that there have been a lot of studies done already relative to employee happiness and engagement, uh, being having uh, daylight exposure and being able to just see outside and see if it's raining, is it snowing, is it, you know, a cloudy day, a beautiful sunny day. Um, so employee happiness is an area that we uh, are very cognizant of. How do you track that? Um, it's, it's, it's very, very challenging to track uh, performance or productivity in workplace environment. Um, however, the other thing that we've done with client is um, at the beginning of a workplace strategy program, we generally, um, along with our client, we design an employee survey. Uh, and that survey is, uh, the, the, the way that we design the survey, the questions that we ask and how we ask the questions will then be repeated uh, six to eight months after they move in. That becomes the post-occupancy evaluation. Then we can start to compare, well, you know, how, are thing, how, how did things go, uh, what the metrics are relative to uh, how satisfied this particular or these uh, uh, this department uh, employees are with uh, you know the the existing meaning the former situation versus the new office space. So there's a way that we can track it. Um, you know, is it perfect? Um, no, it's not perfect, but you know there's a good way to. This is one way to to track uh, how successful we have been uh, with the new office design. Great. What else should be reflected in giving people's feedback? Are there certain other things that you should be asking about? You know, one area that we have not touched on, um, Janelle, is integration of technology. I am not an expert in technology. I'll be the first to tell you. But what I do know is um, as a part of this changing 
uh, work design and strategy and environment, uh, technology integration is first and foremost that we will bring up with our client. And again, depending on their appetite and um, you know how uh, much they want to push that envelope, uh, smart building and smart workplace, intelligent building and smart workplace technology uh, is starting to become much more ubiquitous as a part of our workplace strategy uh, development program. Great. One thing I wanted to touch on too was um, whether you had any recommendations for wayfinding in open offices. Um, are there techniques that you use to set the different spaces apart to help people navigate, like um, you know, flooring with different patterns or textures, or uh, maybe other strategies that you use to kind of help people orient themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that I mean, you already touched on flooring, colors, lighting. Uh, materials on uh, you know vertical services uh, but one of the strategy that we use is actually in planning so that there are always viewpoints and sight lines and um, you know key uh, uh, landmarks if you will if I can use that word interior landmarks that will orientate um, you know one uh, from from uh, understanding where they're going sure when you say landmarks do you mean like uh, a piece of wall art, or what are some of the things that you've used as landmarks before? Yeah, it could be wall art, it could be sculpture, it could be, um, uh, you know, your sight line towards a huddle room uh, that is different from this side of the floor, from that side of the floor, uh, or sight line towards the outdoor. So taking advantage of views, uh, you know, perhaps at the end of this particular circulation path, you see the the woods behind, and on the other side of the circulation path, you look towards the the lakeside or the city side, something like that. Makes sense. We've talked about a lot of different aspects of office design today, but are there any takeaways that you would really wish that facilities managers and building owners um, would take away from? this podcast when they're looking at their own offices, whether that's um, an open office design or a more traditional design with more closed space? Hmm, good question. And um, I guess the, the, the initial uh, reaction I have from your question is it depends on where they're coming from. So if it's a very dated uh, office environment that has not been touched for 20 years, there's a lot of improvement that you can do immediately without, um, without making you know, big changes. Um, I, I, think, uh, I, I, I think that, um, let me just rephrase this. When you, when you think about office design, there is so much talk about open plan and benching. And I would just say to our facilities managers that one size doesn't fit all, and benching may or may not be the right solution for your organization. And also keeping in mind that if it's a big corporation, you have various departments that uh, work differently. So take into consideration the functional aspect of those departments. For instance, your HR and your legal department may never be able to go 100% open plan. However, 
your sales and marketing team might be the perfect exact fit for a 100% open plan. You know, your IT team, for instance, is, is another good um, example. So it's not a ubiquitous solution that, you know, the, the industry, uh, a lot of chatter out there that, oh, 100% open plan and, you know, we need to do that because it's going to save us money and yada, yada, yada. That is not the case. So um, I would be just be very careful about looking at what is the right mix uh, for the for the enterprise level and what is the right mix for the individual departmental level so there might be you know a variety of different standards you may have some consistency in the overall macro standard that you develop but there might be tweaks and uh, modifications that are unique to each of the departments and that stuff needs to be taken into consideration not only that um, I would say that, uh, policies and governance are really important part of um, workplace strategy and design. Uh, generally, we still think about one-to-one, -one, um, you know, bus-to-seat ratio, but there are certain instances where you can start to look at a desk sharing or hoteling, or in some cases, a free address uh, sort of application, whereby. You, um, it's really a win-win, um, you know, you save on real estate and then, but yet on the other hand, you give your employees more flexibility and uh, the ability to control uh, their daily uh, work uh, hours, if you will. They may decide to work from home uh, one day a week or a couple days a week and desk share with somebody else within the department. So those are the types of policies that really should be a part of this conversation and not just uh, bricks and mortar uh, design and planning. Great. And is there anything that I haven't asked about? I know we've covered uh, seemingly every aspect of office design, but um, is there anything that I haven't asked about that you think I should have or anything else you'd like to add or make sure people know? Um, we touched on change management a little bit, and um, <clears throat> any organization who is that's embarking on a um, a new workplace design, whether it's um, you know slight modification or a enterprise level uh, workplace strategy, um, like the one that we're working with a, a major client right now outside Boston. Uh, change management needs to be woven into the conversation, whether you do it internally within you know, within their own organization, or you hire Stantec to help with change management, uh, you know, just be sure that we don't forget that because, um, you know, designing spaces, you know, you're, you're getting the space ready for the people, but change management is getting your people ready for the space. And the two needs to go hand in hand. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Angie, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been really illuminating and I appreciate you joining us to talk about office design. No problem. Happy to. It's my favorite subject. <laughs> Great. Glad to hear it. Thanks again to Angie Lee from Stantec for joining me today.